Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. I'm here because I'm a mother of three black kings and I would never want to be George Floyd's mom and experience the type of devastation and heartache that she had to experience. So I'm here just to show solidarity for the most part, but also I've seen a lot going on in the news as far as violence when it comes to protesting and or standing for justice for him. And I wanted to bring my 10-year-old out here, even as it's getting close to the evening, to show that it's not always us. It's not us. It's been a lot of black people shown in the news or stated in the news that we're causing all the havoc. But I wanted to bring my baby out here to show that it's not us. It's safe out here. We're just out here protesting. We want our rights. I'm San Francisco Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and you're listening to Fifth and Mission. You just heard Shanae Mason, an AC transit operator who lives in San Leandro. She was at a George Floyd protest in Oakland last week when Yolanda James, a Chronicle photojournalist, asked her a simple question. Why are you protesting? Yolanda, better known as Yoshi, has a photo essay up now at sfchronicle.com called Why I Protest. She's talking today about the very personal story behind how she launched this project. Yoshi James, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Heather. I appreciate that you all have included me to discuss this project today. Of course. I miss seeing you um, <laughs> I miss day to day, so it's nice to talk to you on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have a really terrific project up on sfchronicle.com now called Why I Protest, and I understand that there's an interesting um, backstory to how this came to be, and I wondered if you can uh, tell me about that. Absolutely. Our director of photography, Nick, Nicole Fruget called me early last week to check in on me. And her first question was, how can I help? And my response was, stop the violence. Mm -hmm. And I told her, I know that's broad, but that's how I'm feeling at the moment. I was on vacation and was following the news from here and nationally and seeing journalists being shot out, shot at by police officers. They were using rubber bullets. Mm-hmm. One photojournalist um, was shot at point blank in Minneapolis and she's permanently lost sight from her left eye. And oh my gosh, we've had colleagues here who have been robbed at gunpoint and that petrified me. I told Nicole, I I want to feel safe and protected. And, but, you know, at the same time, I told her that black voices were being lost in our coverage of the riots and protests. And we needed to, utilize our space, our real estate to amplify their voices because I felt the message was being lost. Mm -hmm. So she said, 
let me figure out a game plan. I want to keep you safe, but also want you to be able to express your voice in our coverage. So the very next day, we came up with a plan to go to a George Floyd protest and find people on the street and ask them why they're protesting. So we, we asked our columnist, Otis Taylor Jr., to, to help out. He and I are both from South Carolina. We have the same friends. And I trust Otis so much. And I knew immediately he would get it. So when I went to sick, uh, when I went to 14th and Broadway here in downtown Oakland, I saw all the beautiful murals being painted by local artists. And I decided to approach black people. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, my questions not only included, why are you out here protesting? But ask them, how are you doing? Over the last month, we've seen violent images. Of the death of Armad Arbery. Mm-hmm. We've seen images of Breonna Taylor's apartment. Mm-hmm. Where she was shot and killed by Louisville police officers. There is footage of an African-American male truck driver being blocked by two white men. He had just finished delivering a package to a customer when these two men blocked him from exiting their gated white community. Mm -hmm. We've seen footage from New York City where police officers arrested Black people for violating social distancing rules when a few miles away, white New York City police officers provided masks to white people violating social distancing rules at a park. Mm -hmm. Otis and I were discussing this a month ago. We, we said, we asked each other, what's going on? Why are black people being targeted during the coronavirus? And, and thankfully people have recorded these distressing moments just to document what's happening to black bodies out on the streets and and showing that there isn't racial equality here in this country. And, and I, I have been emotionally overwhelmed by these graphic images. A few years ago, I was documenting the Black Lives Matter movement in Memphis, Tennessee, as a staff photojournalist and video producer for the Commercial Appeal newspaper. And Heather, I spent weeks 
analyzing videos of Tamir Rice, of Sandra Bland, Flando uh, Castile, Sam mm-hmm. DeBose, um, Emmett Till, Walter Scott. Mm-hmm. And it traumatized me. It put me in a dark place. Because I, I wanted to know what led to their deaths, what prompted people, police, to kill these black men and women. And I decided after I wrote that piece to not look at another video. Mm-hmm. And then a month ago, someone released the footage of Ahmad Arbery being executed in the street while jogging in Georgia. I had to call a counselor Mm. because did you watch the video? I didn't watch the video. I, I read, I read the story. Um, Mm -hmm. A black reporter wrote the story and it was so descriptive. I didn't need to watch the video. Yeah. But people started sharing the last few moments of, of his life. And I could not escape that because it's everywhere. It's all over social media. Mm-hmm. And that triggered my memory of watching those videos a few years ago. Right. Of all these people I just previously listed. And because we're sheltering in place, because I I live alone, I don't have <laughs> a lot of people here to to talk about what I'm processing and how I'm feeling. Yeah. Um, being deprived of human touch at the moment, and that's what I need. And mm-hmm. I also need to Aww. be out in the streets and and document what's happening and so for me it was therapeutic being out there last week talking with fellow black people and asking them how are you how are you dealing with this how are you processing all these images what are you telling your children how are you sharing this news with your kids and how are you keeping them safe what are you teaching them at home what do you tell them if they come across police officers? Mm-hmm. How are you exercising self-care? Yeah. You know, and then they in turn will, would ask me the same questions. Mm-hmm. So, so you kind of got some of that conversation you were longing for. Yeah, absolutely. And I did manage to get a hug. Um, oh, from- I wish I could give you a <laughs> hug right now. Oh, thanks, Heather. I appreciate that. I appreciate that a lot, but, you know, I am so grateful to Nicole for just being there, being an actor, an active listener for being present, for listening to me and then Mm -hmm. finding a safe way for me to, to tell this story. Mm -hmm. I am so grateful to her for that and grateful to Otis for being present, for being 
available and I am honored and privileged to have been able to listen and to photograph these beautiful people I photographed last week. Yeah. I'm talking to Chronicle photojournalist Yoshi James. Before we take a break, let's hear from another person she talked to at the protest, 26-year-old Tipperith Banks from El Cerrito. It's like being a friend to somebody and only calling them when you need a ride somewhere. They want to spend quality time with you. They want to know that you care about them. They don't want you to just call them when you need them to build their house. They need you every day. I needed you every day. And you came at Corona. You know, George needed you every day and you came after he died. Like literally, we need you every single day. This is not just a one-time thing and I and I pray that after this is over that y'all are really unified. There will never be another George Floyd situation if y'all make sure y'all are unified. When you were asking them all those questions that you just described, did you find any common themes? Like, are people feeling hopeful, discouraged, exhausted, kind of all of the above? Um, was there sort of a common thread that you found? Yeah, they, Shanae Mason, a 42-year-old um, black mom who, who said, you know, I have three kings at home. Mm. And I, I am tired of the narrative that we're out here looting. We're out here being destructive. I wanted to bring my kids here to show them that we are not the people doing this. Mm -hmm. And I found that to be a powerful statement, which was also the same sentiment I had. Like, I told, I told Nicole that... I felt black voices were being lost in the narrative mm -hmm. in our coverage. And I needed to be out there to show my face, to be a representative of the San Francisco Chronicle mm -hmm. to show them that we care. Yeah. And we wanted to provide a space for them to amplify their voices uh, another person um, mentioned that she felt that the only time black people come together is during tragedy mm. and that we, we always need to be around for each other. Mm -hmm. Do you have any perspective on why um, George Floyd's killing has inspired such massive protests around the country when we've seen, like you described earlier, so many of these horrifying videos for so many years. And clearly racism has been going on in this country since its beginnings. Do you have any thoughts on why this moment seems to be different? Absolutely. I think, I think we've had enough of it. Mm -hmm. I, like I said, if we, I mean, we could go back 50 years, right? But, But I, I think in 50 years, I, I'm talking about Birmingham, where the police officers hosed African-American demonstrators and attacked them with nightsticks, kettle prods, and 
in dogs. Mm-hmm. But I want to talk about the most recent events, starting with Armad Arbery, mm-hmm. him being shot and killed by a white father and son team who executed him in the street of Georgia while he was jogging. And I think that angered a lot of people mm-hmm. and it perplexed us to ask if he was killed in February, why, why are we just now hearing the news of his death? Mm-hmm. And then on the hills of that came Brianna Taylor's, Um, news reports about her death while she was shot and killed by police officers in her sleep. They were at the wrong apartment. The person they were looking for was already in police custody. Then we we see the footage from New York City. Then we see footage of this black delivery man being harassed Mm -hmm. and illegally detained by these two white men. Then we see footage of Amy Cooper strangling her dog while calling the police on Christian Cooper, an African-American man who was watching birds. And he politely asked her, please put a leash on your dog. Right. And then here comes George Floyd. Mm -hmm. So it was just one after another. One after the other. And I I think because we're sheltering in place, it's, it's it's provided us time to watch Mm -hmm. these videos and to process what's happening. And we're sick and tired of it. Yeah. We are absolutely sick and tired of it. I mean, this has been, this has been happening since the inception of our country, the, you know, the birth of our country and, now everyone is equipped with cell phones and cameras and we're documenting what's happening in the streets mm-hmm. and, and people are, are, are saying enough is enough. Yeah. Well, um, you've done an excellent job documenting these protesters and why they're protesting. So I really appreciate your work and um, thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Heather. I appreciate it. And thank you for your work. I love your latest column. On spray oh, paint, you. Sally. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, it wasn't quite as dramatic as what you've been describing. But yes, even in San Francisco, racism is very much present. Well, take care, and I really look forward to seeing you sometime soon in person. Absolutely. Thank you, Heather. Take care of yourself, and I will get that I, hug soon. <laughs> we'll get that hug soon, and I just encourage everyone who's listening to please seek help, talk to a friend, talk to a loved one, Mm -hmm. talk to a counselor, because we are living in a traumatizing and scary time in our country. Mm -hmm. Um, Journalists are, are being attacked. People are being tear gassed. They're being mm-hmm. beaten. They're being arrested. And I, I just want people to seek help if you're struggling. Don't give up. Keep the keep your faith. 
Keep hope alive. We'll get through this. We will get through this. We will. Well, you're very eloquent, and I appreciate you sharing those important words. Thank you so much, Heather. I appreciate your time. Thank you to Yoshi James for joining me today, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and to you for listening. We'll let another protester have the final word. He's 24-year-old Delvin Hodges from Memphis, and he's been living in San Francisco for six years. He wants to be a justice on the Supreme Court. When is enough is enough? When will my voice be heard? We've been doing this for years. We've been asking for change. We've been asking just to be heard. We've been asking for just to be felt as humans. It's so hard and frustrating when you live in a society that treats you as a second-class citizen. 